Hello, and thanks for listening with us today. We are the Beach Church. We are real people trying to show real love from a real God. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you continue to stay with us. We are encouraged by everyone who listens. We hope that you are blessed today by everything that we talk about. See you guys. Take care. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. 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 God bless you, brother. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're so thankful to be able to, to be together today and to to honor the Lord through our time together. <clears throat> we want to be sensitive to that. We have a, a special occasion today. Uh, not only are we uh, celebrating today uh, first fruits, but we are also celebrating uh, in baptism. Avery's going to be getting baptized after service, and so we're excited to celebrate with her. Um, not, not that Avery, the Avery behind us there. Whenever, yeah, sorry, Avery. We've got two Averys this morning. Don't want to scare anybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Avery's like, what? <laughs> just felt the Lord. Just felt the Lord. Say, it's time to get baptized, Avery. <laughs> yeah. Now, Avery Nemeth is going to be getting baptized um, this morning after service. And so uh, we're thankful for what God is doing in her life and encouraged to see uh, that she is taking this journey uh, herself and, and really just seeking the Lord and in this season of her life to to say that in reading the Bible and just spending time with the Lord, she knew that it was time for her to, to get baptized. And so we're excited to do that with her. Avery grew up here uh, in their church, and so we're so humbled uh, to have her back with us. Um, and so that's going to be happening after service. And then we're going to be having our first fruits meal. And so um, we love to be able to share a meal with you and so if you wanted to hang around with us to do that, we'd love for you to do that as well. Um, but we're continuing on in our summer series that we're titling, Someone Has to Say It. Um, someone Has to Say It, yeah. Um, and so we've been going through some topics that we feel like uh, are not uh, to be spoken of in uh, arrogance or to be spoken of. Uh, in a way of con uh, condemning or making anyone feel like that somebody is uh, in an angry state of mind in saying this, because we know that sometimes uh, that phrasing could create a, some tension there. We're like, well, someone has to say it. Uh, we believe that the Lord's word has spoken truth to us and revealed his truth to us, and the Holy Spirit is what continues to guide us in our pursuit of truth. And so this series is all about us just connecting back with what God's Word says to reveal to us the importance of living for Him. And so last week we talked about how our feelings don't supersede what's written. Today I want to talk to you about um, a topic that I think is important for us to be reminded of, and that is that God is not a genie. He is a Father. God is not a genie. He is a Father. And as such, there are certain roles and there is a dynamic to our relationship with him that even though maybe we have had a poor expression or sometimes 
um, an unrighteous expression or uh, not a healthy experience of what it means uh, to have a father or fatherhood in general. We can even sometimes get distorted in that. And so I want us to try to walk through this and bring some clarity as to how our relationship with the Lord matters and what it means for us to, to walk in this kind of relationship with him. So I want to pray with you today and pray that the Lord would open our eyes to see his word and that he'd be glorified today. Can we pray together? Lord, we thank you today. And we recognize, Lord, that you have caused all scripture to be written for our learning. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would grant us to hear them, to read, to mark, to learn, and to inwardly digest them, Lord. That by patience and the comfort of your holy word, God, that we would continue to hold fast to the hope that we have in you. Lord, even when the world seems to be shifting and the world seems to be going away, and Lord, and even in circles of faith, we see a, a kind of a walking away of, of the primacy of Scripture in our lives. Uh, hold fast to that. And may we not lose sight of it, God. May we not lose sight of your truth today. And may you be glorified in our lives. We thank you, God, for that. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So to kind of help underscore this reality that God is not a genie, that he is a father, uh, we want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 16, 17, and 18. And we want to try to take these words that Paul was expressing when he was reiterating what was spoken in Leviticus about God's relationship to Israel, and he was connecting it to God's relationship with all those who profess faith in Jesus as their Savior. And so this is new covenant language being grafted into the original covenant that was made uh, with Israel that God was speaking to them as his people. And so Paul was encouraging them as he was saying, and what mutual agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will live in them and will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Right? So from the very beginning, we see here that God is committing as he was in the Old Testament now Paul is reminding the believers that that commitment is still there, that he will be in them, he will walk with them, he will be their God, and they will be his people. And he goes on further to say in verse 17, as a result of that, right, come out from their midst and be separate, right? Don't let the nations influence you as to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Don't let the nations tell you what it looks like. Let God's word, his enduring covenant that he has laid down for you, be what guides you. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you. This language would have been important, and they would have understood what it meant because God was consecrating Israel to him and for him. The covenant that God made with Abraham was that through his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That same covenant has been reinforced in the new covenant language to recognize that though all those who profess faith in Jesus... All those who accept him as their savior, they're given the right to be called the children of God. And so that language is important because God is continuing to consecrate us as a people. He's continuing to set us apart for him and to him so that we can be a light in a dark world, so that we can walk in a way that draws people to him. Not that they will see us, but that they will see him. And so in order for them to see him in our lives, we have to what? Diminish. We have to humble ourselves to the authority of his word so that we are not guided by our feelings and not guiding by, guided by what we think is right, but what we know the Word says. And so he goes on to affirm to them this truth that we're trying to connect to today, that he is the Father. 
Verse 18, he says, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the all-powerful Lord. And so it's important to know the difference. When we think about a genie, we oftentimes think about someone who's trapped, someone who is uh, in, the, in a container who has to um, listen to their master, right? When somebody has the lamp and they rub the lamp, right? Robin Williams pops out, <laughs> right? Right? What's that song? I'm just thinking of all the songs, right? I couldn't think of the words, but I had the dance motions in my head. But anyway, you think about that, right? God is not a genie. He's not trapped to where he has to do our will and has to do everything we say. He's a father who loves us and pours out his blessings in our lives. But we don't have authority over him to tell him what he should do and how he should operate in our lives. He is our heavenly father. And so there's a big difference in the way we understand that. We have to see that difference. But maybe if we've not had the best expression of what fatherhood looks like, maybe it's difficult for us to think of him as a father because we still kind of express or believe it in our own ways. And so we should not treat him based on our understanding of fatherhood. Because some of us have not had, uh, I wouldn't say that we've all had bad experiences of fathers, but we've all had different experiences of, of, of fatherhood, different expressions of that. And so sometimes we tend to think about God that way based on our experience. And so today I briefly want to give you three types of fathers that maybe we have a difficult time differentiating from when it comes to us thinking about the Lord and how he is our heavenly father and how he works in our lives. And so we're going to look at those today. The first father that we want to look at that sometimes maybe we are tempted to think that God is like because of our understanding and expression of fatherhood is the absent father. And maybe we've not had the best expression or the best experience of what that looks like. And so uh, what oftentimes happens when you have an absent father who's not engaged uh, in their child's life is maybe when they do come around, there's this sense of obligation to do things for them, right? So they'll buy them a bunch of stuff. They'll, 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 they'll go overboard when they see them because they're not always there. And so then when they are, they, they buy all kinds of stuff. They do all kinds of things. And if that's been our experience of fatherhood, we might kind of think, well, God, you're not always here with me. You're not always doing things in my life, right? That's how we feel sometimes. So when God, we do feel God with us, there's an expectation there that we think God ought to just pour out his blessings in our lives and just do all this stuff because, because he owes us, because he hasn't always been there. Now, the reality that Scripture reveals to us is that God is always there, that his hand is always with us. And although we may not see his presence with us, although we may not feel him, he is everywhere at all times. And he promises to never leave us nor forsake us, to always be there with us. And the prophet Isaiah reminds us of that when he describes what God was doing and how his relationship with his people still remained even though they were walking through captivity and leading up to the stages of total, what they felt like, annihilation. And so he promised them and encouraged them in Isaiah 41.10 when he said, don't be afraid. You ever been afraid before? Oftentimes in our lives, we find ourselves in situations where we feel like we are alone, we feel exposed, we feel like we can't 
keep going. And as believers, we have hope in those moments because the Lord can come alongside us. And we know that that's the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? Parakletos, the one alongside that comes alongside us. And so the Father loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we could be redeemed. Jesus became the door that made it possible for us to access the Father. And then when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, when I go, I go to prepare a place for you. So if I go, I'm going to come back. But while I'm gone, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so we can't worry about whether or not God is with us. We have to push aside those feelings and recognize that God is always with us. He promised here and said, for I am with you. Don't be frightened, for I am your God. Right? So these are people who are walking through captivity, walking through hardship. Pastor, I thought that if I came to Jesus and if I accepted faith in him, that nothing bad would ever happen to me. That I have the authority to cast out everything that's evil in my life that I don't want to be there. Without, without also understanding that sometimes God allows us to go through things to teach us lessons. Right? So imagine if you were a child and your parents were trying to get you to learn a skill. Let's just say it's something simple as writing. Right? We're teaching our kids to write, to read, all that stuff. So what if our children said to us, man, I don't feel like writing today. And we said, hey, baby, it's okay. You don't need to worry about writing. If you don't feel like it, you just do whatever you do. I will love you no matter what. Right? As a, as a father of six-year-olds, three six-year-olds, I mind you, six, six, and six. <laughs> just pray for me. Just pray for me. <laughs> I have to recognize that I have a responsibility to get them to another level in their development or else I am not doing my job as a father. Now, some might say, well, a good father would recognize if your child is overstimulated and, and is overwhelmed, and I'm with you there. But I also know that there are times where my six-year-olds are just lazy because they don't want to do anything more than sit on the couch and eat Cheetos and watch Mickey Mouse. And so, I get, well, I mean, hey, if it makes them happy, I'll let them do it. No, because I know that at some point they're not going to be six, and if they go and apply for a job and put an X on their application for their name, somebody's going to say something's wrong here. We have a high literacy rate, not the highest, but we have a pretty high literacy rate in our country, and so it's difficult to do anything without being able to, to read and write. Now, not everybody can read effectively. Some read better than others, but there needs to be a, a basic understanding of it to move along in society. And so that happens oftentimes in our lives where we as children, and Paul talks about this, when he was encouraging them, he said, you know what, I wish that you could get to the point, and I know Terry is with me here, I wish to the point where you could bite on some steak, right? Terry's had some work done on his teeth, and he's been eating soup, and so we've got soup for him today. So Terry's going to, the soup's in his honor. But at some point, there's going to come a day where Terry's going to be able to gnaw on some steak. And it's going to be a glorious day for him. And he's waiting for that day where he can gnaw on some steak. Right? What a joy, what a day of rejoicing it will be. Right? He will. So sometimes we're that way too, right? And the Apostle Paul challenges the believers. He says, you know what, I wish that you would grow past this point of just being like a newborn baby 
who sits around and just soaks up the milk that's given to you. I wish that you would get past that and start getting to the deeper things in life. But in order for us to get to the deeper things in life, sometimes we have to go through trials. And so one thing that fathers are great at most of the time, whether they do it effectively or not, but one of the things that fathers are consistent about is they will take every opportunity to teach a lesson. If you have anybody in your life that's like a father to you, they are always teaching you a lesson. They're always trying to do something. Everything's a life lesson. We don't often want to hear that when it comes to our faith journey, right? That if we're going through a difficulty and it seems like we can't get past that difficulty, that maybe God's trying to teach us something before we get past this thing. No, I come against that. Come against what? Learning? Come against growth opportunities? Come against challenges that might get you to the next level with God? That, that's not a lack of faith. That's, that's you not wanting to go through trials because you don't want to go through difficulty. So I'm not saying that we don't have authority to come against, and I know that the enemy has attacked many of our families, and we've been praying against the attack of the enemy, but sometimes, if there is something that we keep going through, let me encourage you today that it's possible that God may be trying to teach you something. Because here's what we know about God. Everything that happens to us in this life can be used for our good and for his glory. Everything. Now, that may be difficult at times to to process because we go through life and challenges that, that create so much heartache in our lives. And we wonder, God, where are you at? Just like probably they felt in Isaiah 41.10, even though they had turned away from him, he was saying, listen, I will always be there for you. You may think that I've abandoned you, but I've not. I'm letting you go through this because I want to draw you back to me. I'm letting you go through this because I want you to go through this. But sometimes we miss the mark when it comes to how we live our lives. Let me tell you a story real quick. We were at Bush Gardens, and the 9 o'clock people already heard this story, but we were at Bush Gardens on Christmas Town one time. There's nothing new under the sun, right? So I'm just going to crank out the machine and do it over again. Um, we were at Bush Gardens, and there, there were this, this basketball thing. Right? You ever seen that where you have to shoot the basketball, and if you make a shot, you get a, get a toy? I played basketball in high school. I thought, man, this is, I know it's a gimmick, but I'm going to give it a shot, right? My kids are young enough where they still think I'm invincible, that I can do anything. And so I remember in that moment feeling so much pressure because my kids were like, come on, Daddy, you got it, right? So every shot was another level of disappointment for them. But they were like, okay, my dad's not invincible. He's not perfect, right? And I was sweating more than I've ever sweated in my life. And you guys have seen me sweat a lot up here. But I've never sweated that much as I did in that moment. It was in the wintertime. But I knew that I was going to disappoint them, that I was going to fall short of what, they had, what their expectation was for me. And so I used it as an opportunity to teach them, guys, I'm not always going to fulfill your expectations of me as a father, but I know that my heavenly father will always be there. God will always be there for you guys. That sounds silly, right? We're, we're in the middle of Bush Gardens, and, and we just uh, made them, I, made, I messed up and didn't win something, right? So... But I tried to use this as a moment to tell them that I'm not always going to measure up to that. My goal as a father is that because of my life, my children have a desire to live for him. Because of my leadership, that they want to grow in their relationship with him. That's what, that's what my desire is. But I know I'm not always going to measure up to that. So the best thing for me to do is to introduce to them that one day, whether or not I'm here or not, they're going to be able to stand on the Lord and lean on him because he'll always be there for them. 
And so we got to be careful that we don't lose sight of that, right? So the next day, we were back there, right? And so you guys ever done the battering ram? Right? Battering ram is, it seems, you know, like a, just an innocent thing, right? But it's terrifying, right? I'm not a big roller coaster fan. Me and gravity don't always play friendly together, right? So I've never been a huge roller coaster fan. I ride them, but I'm not a huge fan of it, right? Well, Liberty, our oldest daughter, she's not, uh, she's not really crazy about them either. And I get nauseous easily. Uh, and so, you know, I could get nauseous if, if I ran up and down the stairs fast enough here, I could get nauseous. Or if I spin around in a circle, I could get nauseous. So roller coasters, car rides are always an iffy thing for me. So when, when we drive long distances, Selena will have a bucket for me and a bucket for our kids. And we're just, she's having to take care of all of us. So I've never been big on that, right? Liberty is very similar. She gets nauseous easily. But she wanted to ride the battering ram, and we wanted to experience the whole, the whole thing, right? So we went on there. So Selena... And then James, Jolene, and Liberty, and then me on the other end, right? And so we had the, the bar come down, and we're there, and then it starts going, and everything's fine. Everyone's having a great time. Selena and James and Jolene are loving every minute of it, right? But there came a moment in the ride that Liberty and I started to not feel so great. And further, not only was she feeling nauseous, but because they were so little, and I guess Bush Gardens just had like 1970 child car seat uh, procedures, um, you guys have seen those, like, milk crates that they just stick the kids in, and there's no seatbelts on them, and they're like, that's how I grew up, you soft bunch of people, right? Back in my day, this is how we, we, we strapped our kids into the van. So anyway, there came a point where it started to move so fast, she started to, to slide out of the, the seat, right? So I'm getting sick, she's getting sick, but more than that, she started to, to fall out, right? So I put my hand up against her, and I held her as tight as I could, up against the seat. And the whole time I was there, I was saying, baby, it's okay. I got you. Nothing's going to happen to you. Right? I'm getting, I'm nauseous. I'm about to throw up. But I'm like, baby, it is okay. I got you. Nothing's going nothing, to, I could have thrown up, but I was not going to let her go. That's, that, I was not going to do that, right? But I use that as an opportunity to tell, listen, as long as I have strength in my body, I will always be there for you. But God will be there for you greater than I could ever be there for you. Greater than I ever could. It was a productive time at Bush Gardens. We had um, lots of teaching moments. Afterwards, her and I went and got ice cream. That was another teaching moment. So we got to be careful that we don't think of God as the absent father because he's with us. We also got to be careful that we don't think of God as the overbearing father. Some of our experiences of fatherhood make us think that God is always going to be disappointed with us, that we're never going to measure up, that we're never going to be able to do anything to please him because we're just a big failure. Because that's the way we feel, based on our expression of what fatherhood looks like, that we're never going to be able to measure up. We're never going to be able to, to do anything right. And so we feel like, what? what's the use of trying? I'm always going to mess up. I'm never going to be good enough. Without understanding that that's what grace is all about, right? That we never measure up. But God loves us enough that he pours out his love in our hearts and our lives. But the psalmist understood this. Because sometimes we, can, we confuse guidance, rules, structure, discipline as sometimes being overbearing because maybe of our, our experiences with that. But the psalmist was correct when he identified this truth. When he says, but you, O Lord, are a compassionate and merciful God. 
You are patient and demonstrate great loyal love and faithfulness. You see, in our lives, if we oftentimes uh, just think that uh, God is going to be disappointed in us because everybody has been disappointed in us, then we improperly categorize our relationship with him. Our relationship with him is not one where we ever bring anything to the table, but in his great love, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he loves us and he's compassionate towards us. And all of us have experienced that compassion where we have missed the mark, where we've messed up and God has been faithful to us. And God has been loving to us. And so we got to be careful that we don't let ourselves fall into that trap of thinking that he's like an absent father or he's like an overbearing father. Because sometimes in the course of our relationship, the Lord is going to teach us lessons. And we're going to have to surrender to his authority. We're going to have to recognize that he's in charge and we are not. And so we need to surrender to what he is telling us. And we need to walk in that reality. That may seem overbearing because we want God to bless us, but do we want God to to shepherd us? Do we want him to lead us? Right? Do we want him to be like the, the keeper of the vines and he prunes and he cuts so that we can grow? And sometimes those cuts are a little deep. And sometimes it hits real close to very entrenched, deep wounds that we have that he wants to free us from. And he gets uncomfortable at times. And so we might think that he's overbearing because he is constantly in his word challenging us. And I shared with you guys last week that I don't like everything the Bible says. And the reason why I don't like everything the Bible says is because there are many times in my life where I fight whether or not I want to fully surrender to him or if I want to do my thing. You guys ever been there before? Right? Sometimes you just say, you know what? I know what the Bible says, but I'm not listening to you. Right? No thanks. We may not say that with our lips, but our actions speak to that. Right? We don't want to surrender to that. But the reality is, is whether we want to or not, if we have a relationship with him, if we profess him as our heavenly father, we have to surrender to the authority of his word. We have to. Because lastly, he's not an absent father. He's present in our lives. He's not overbearing. He's loving. He's compassionate. The last reality that we want to look at, and I don't want you to miss the point here, but I put this in here because I want us to understand how sometimes we treat God. The sugar daddy. We all know the type, right? We think that we have this agreement with God. And that if we come to church, we put our money in the plate, and we read our Bible, and we listen to all the, the Bible studies in the podcast, and we do everything. We go on the mission trips, and we hand out cards, and we invite people to church, and we do all this stuff that God is going to hold up his end of the bargain, and he's going to give us what we need. That's not relationship. That is an arrangement. And we don't have an arrangement with God. We're supposed to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So does that mean he will do good things for us? Absolutely, because he's a good father, right? He's a good father. He's gracious. He's loving. He's compassionate. That's what the psalmist wrote. But why? We have to ask ourselves today, why do we live for him? Do we live for him because we have this perspective in our minds that he, that he does all this stuff for us? Or do we live for him because of who he is? 
Do we recognize that he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that he's our heavenly father, he's the great I am. He's the creator of all, all, everything. He's the king of the universe. Do we recognize that today, and do we live for him because of that? Or do we live for him for the other things? And that's a very important reality that we have to come to terms with today. Because if our relationship is built on the things that God does for us, you know what God's going to do in his path of growth for us? <laughs> He's probably going to take some of those things away. And if everything in your relationship is built on what God does for you, you're going to say, God, where are you? I thought you loved me. I thought you were my friend. I thought you were my daddy. I thought you loved me. Why are you taking these things away from me? I come to church. I pray. I pay my tithes. I do all this stuff. Why are you doing this? Without realizing that our relationship with him is not one of we do this so he has to do this. No, we do this because of who he is. That's the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic faith. If we have an intrinsic-oriented faith, then we do what we do because it is, it is an outflow of our love for God. But if we have an, an extrinsic-oriented faith, that means that we come here and do things because we think it gets us stuff. Right? We come to church because we think, you know, God will rain down his blessings if I, if I put on all this stuff and do all this stuff. Now, God pours out his blessings on us every single day. But you know what's true? If God didn't do another thing for us, he's still worthy to be praised. That slaps in the face some of our modern thinking. Because we try to give people a reason to, to come and be a part without saying what's really true, right? That we are all wicked and wretched people who need salvation, and the only way that we're going to get redemption is if we fall on our face and ask God to come into our lives and save us. Right? You can't all the time put that on a t-shirt and think you're going to sell t-shirts with that. Right? So we want to try to create another idea, right? Come to church. Get, 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 in, get ingrained in church. And you know what we do is we conflate two realities. Here's, here's, here's a reality that we can't mix up. If you live for God, put him first. Walk in faithfulness to him. And devote yourself to an intrinsic-oriented faith. I guarantee you, if you look back at your life, you will see the hand of God. Move in powerful ways. And if you put that up against somebody who has lived to fulfill their own desires, to live in a way that makes whatever seems right to them, to come up with their own faith system, to pick and choose what they want, you're going to see a stark contrast between those two lives. So don't mistake me when I, when, when I tell you that there is a truth to living for the Lord that will leave a legacy of stability, strength, blessing that can be passed down. But a life of chaos will always follow the person that lives for their own desires. But here's the other lie that, uh, or other truth that we have to recognize. We don't come to God, or we shouldn't come to God, because we think if we do, we're going to get all these things in this life. We should come to him because we recognize that he has provided a way for us to be redeemed. That we recognize that he is our creator. That we are image bearers. And so as, a, as an image bearer, we, are, we have a responsibility to bear him, to bear his name, his image in our lives. To worship him, to give him glory. Because we were created for that. The heavens declare, all creation declares that he is holy. We are called to do that with our lives. But because we have this idea about him and think that 
he's this way. We miss out sometimes because we read verses in the Bible, right, that says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. And we think, God's got all this stuff. Can you give me some of that stuff, Lord? I just need a little, just a taste, right? Let me see what it tastes like. Taste of the glory. I just need a little, Lord. But the reality is, he has already given us everything we need for life and godliness in Jesus. And if we sit here today in our own unhappiness, in our own broken thought system, thinking that, God, you have just not done what I wanted you to do. I've done all this stuff. I've said all these things. What else do you want from me? Well, it's clear what God deserves from us. He laid down his life for us. The least we could do is be willing to lay down ours for him. To give him everything. To give him everything. And that's hard because we have two competing realities. And neither one are really true, but that's what they're, they're projected as realities. The first reality usually comes from inside faith communities. Where it tells us that if, if we do all this stuff, that God will do all this. And so we get this quid pro quo relationship with the Lord where he's got to do this for us and we do this for him. Instead of the reality of that, we do all this because of who he is. Right? We, we, we're faithful in our giving to him because he's given us everything. And we know that we're stewards of what he's given us. And so he blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. That's why he does it. There's no other reason why he does it. His desire and reasons for blessing his people all throughout the Bible was so that they could be a blessing to the nations. Not so that they could fill their coffers and live lavishly. When they did that, usually that's when they got in trouble. So that's one reality or proposed reality that we have to fight against. That often comes within our own faith communities. The other reality usually comes outside of faith communities. And it's that God is a hateful, evil, wicked person because he doesn't do all these things that you want him to do. That he's unloving because, well, how could a loving God allow this to happen? How could a God who is supposedly full of all this compassion and love that you read about, how could he let all this stuff happen? And the reality is, as we've touched on already today, there are things that we go through in this life so that God can use those moments for our good and for us to glorify him. You know the most glorifying activity that Jesus ever did on the earth was? You know what it was? The most glorifying activity he ever did on the earth was being nailed to a cross. God got the most glory out of his life from doing that. Now, how can we take the foundation of the gospel message that Jesus died for us so that we could be freed from the bondage of sin and hijack that to think that if we go through any ounce of difficulty, that God is hateful and that he's unloving and he's not worth living for? It's because we've believed the lie of the enemy. And we built our relationship on something that it isn't. Which is why the Bible is full of passages encouraging us to fix our eyes on him. Fix our eyes on what he accomplished for us. Don't worry about all the other stuff. Right? You seek him first and his righteousness, right? You let him be the prize. You let him be your focal point. And he will do what he does. But know this. If God has you in a moment, if God has you in a season, and you feel like it's not something that is pleasurable or not something that it is 
um, understandable. You can't get at your grasp around why it's happening. You have to recognize this reality. That it rains on the just and the unjust, right? The sun rises on the wicked and the good. And so no matter what situation we find ourselves in, if we are people of faith, then we ought to say in those moments, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And when God puts us in opportunities, because he will, to bless others, he will give us what we need to do it. And if we are faithful in those moments to do what God's called us to do, the Bible's clear that God will continue to put us in those positions. But if we are unwilling to learn those lessons, if we're unwilling to take the growth opportunities, then most of us will probably stay right where we're at. Right? We'll get to, we'll get to heaven, and we will, we will receive the reward that his grace has put forth in our lives. But can you imagine? Um, I don't want to be in that moment where I have to give an answer for all the things I've done in this life, whether good or bad, and say, man, I just, I just wasn't willing to to, to push forward and learn those lessons. So my hope and prayer today is that we will be encouraged that the Lord is not a genie. He's a father, but he's not just a father as we understand it. He's our heavenly father. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And I think it's important because we need to not lose sight of that in this life. We may not have had the best experiences in life with people, we may have never had, um, we've maybe failed ourselves to lead others the way they need to be led. So that puts us both, whether you've had bad experience or you've been someone who has perpetuated those bad experiences, it puts us in a very unifying category. All of us need God. We need him in our lives. We need him to be there for us. We need him to lead us and to guide us. And he has made it possible for us to do that through Jesus. And so when we come down here to give thanks. We are doing so knowing that this act unites us with Christ. So we are united in him, and we are united with him. And we're not just here of our own accord. When we come together and gather together, there is a communion of saints. There is a great cloud of witnesses, and we are doing this because this is what has been done. The people have gathered together they have broke bread together. They have fellowship together. They have prayed together. They have devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings together. We do this because this is what brings God glory and honor, and he deserves that. Now, there are other benefits that we have to coming, and you guys know that we celebrate those benefits, right? We're getting ready to have soup and sandwiches, and you guys are going to enjoy all of the, the, the fruits of, of God's blessing in our lives. And we do that to celebrate together, but we don't, we don't do that because we hope that that brings you to church. If it does, great. But we want you to leave going, man, I felt God today. And I was able to draw closer to him because of this experience. And I, I, I'm glad that I was able to come together and worship together with my brothers and sisters. I'm also thankful that they made me lunch. And that's great. But that isn't the most important thing. Right, The breakfast that we serve in between services isn't the most important thing. But it's a way of fellowshipping together. And so we do that with thankfulness in our hearts. We want to give thanks today for what God has done in our lives. To honor him. And after we do that, we're going to pray over Avery. And we're going to ask God to, to move in her life as she gets ready to get baptized. And so...
Can we pray together? Aaron, if you want to come. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided for us such an incredible access to you. Lord, help us not to grow weary today in what you've called us to do. Lord, we know that in this life, there have been times where we have fallen short, God. But God, you know everything. All hearts are open to you, God. All desires are known. Lord, from you, no secrets are hid. And so, God, I pray today that you would cleanse the thoughts of our hearts today. That your Holy Spirit would come and speak to us, God. That we may perfectly love you, God, and worthily magnify your holy name. Well, we thank you today that we can approach your table. That we can come together and break bread together, Lord. But God, we also recognize that there are times where we have missed the mark. There are times we have fallen short, God. And so we confess, Lord, that we have sinned against you. We've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Lord, we've done things we know we shouldn't have done. And we've left things undone that we should have finished, God. Lord, we have not loved you with our entire heart. And we have not loved our neighbors and those that you have placed in our lives as ourselves like you call us to do. And so, God, today we humbly repent and we are truly sorry. Well, we know that we don't deserve your grace, but for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, you have poured out your mercy and grace in our lives. And so we thank you today. Lord, help us to walk in your ways. Help us to walk in the grace you've given us, Lord, because you promised, God, that in your great mercy, you will forgive all the sins of those who sincerely repent and turn to you. Lord, we can turn today from this path of brokenness, and we can turn to you today. We can fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. You have broken all the chains of bondage and all the brokenness, God. And so, God, I pray today that you would continue to do that today, that you would continue to move in our lives that you would continue to be with us today as we celebrate the memorial of our redemption as we gather together in this house. Lord, we pray that as we recognize this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, we offer these gifts to you. We offer these gifts to you, God. We pray that you would sanctify them by your word, God, and that your Holy Spirit would come and that they would be for you people, God, us, the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, God. Lord, that you would also sanctify us in this process, Lord, that you'd sanctify us in our hearts and our minds to worthily receive this mystery, God, that we are connected through you, that we are connected in you, God, that we are drawn together in you, God. That we pray that Christ through your Holy Spirit would dwell in us, be in us and be among us. And may we continue to celebrate with an expectation that in the fullness of time, he will bring everything under subjection to his authority, that we can celebrate today 
And so as our Heavenly Father, we recognize that you have made it possible for us through Christ's shed blood in his broken body to be redeemed. And so we humble ourselves today to you as our Heavenly Father. And we pray to you, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we don't presume to come down to this table trusting in our own righteousness. Lord, we are unworthy to come down and even take the crumbs that are under this table. But in your great love and mercy, God, you have made a way for us to come down here and to partake of these gifts, Lord, the cup of salvation, the bread of heaven, God, your body and your blood. And so, God, I pray today that you would continue to grant us in this moment, God, to become one with you, to be renewed in you, to be cleansed by you, to be washed fresh again by your precious blood. That as we receive these gifts, the gifts of God for the people of God, that we would take them in remembrance of what Christ has done for us and we would feed on him in our hearts with faith and thanksgiving. That we would recognize his work in our lives. And so we thank you today for this moment, God, and we pray that you'd be present today. Be present today in the breaking of our bread as you were the night you broke it with your disciples. Lord, may you move in our lives and break the chains of the enemy, God. And bring deliverance, Lord. And may your mystery continue, God, to be proved supernatural in our lives. So, Lord, we receive by faith today. May we continue to walk by faith as we trust you today. Father, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come? Let's partake together. Hey, thank you for watching today's podcast. We hope that you will continue to join us and subscribe. Remember, we're just real people trying to show real love from a real God. And everything that you do to help with that uh, brings glory to God. So thank you, guys. Take care.